Welcome to the Pure Flix Podcast, a show brought to you by PureFlix.com. PureFlix.com, the faith, family, and fun video streaming service. Get ready for uplifting news, scripture, movie reviews, and interviews with some of your favorite actors, authors, and pastors. Let's get started. Hey, what's going on? It's Billy Hollowell, and welcome to the Pure Flix Podcast. On today's show, we are going to be diving into two great interviews. One is with Luke Goodrich. He is the author of Free to Believe. It's a new book that is out this week. He's also a religious freedom attorney at Beckett. He handles some of the biggest religious freedom cases in the country. So we're going to be talking about those cases, his book, which again is Free to Believe. But we're also going to be talking about what it really means when somebody says the separation of church and state, right? We hear that line a lot. What does that really mean? Does it mean what critics think it means? Does it mean what you think it means? We will hear that from Luke directly. We will also be talking today with David Platt. He is a well-known pastor. He is also the author of Something Needs to Change, A Call to Make Your Life Count in a World of Urgent Need. Now, we're going to start today by having David on the show. For those of you who aren't familiar, he is a an incredible pastor and writer who really gets us thinking about how to be Christians. How do we live in our current culture? And this particular book, Something Needs to Change, is really focused on how do we make our life count? How do we exist in a world where there is so much need as Christians and meet that need in a viable way? So with no further ado, I would like to welcome David Platt to the show. Hey, David, how's it going today? I'm doing great. Well, thanks for coming on, and we're going to talk about your book, Something Needs to Change, A Call to Make Your Life Count in a World of Urgent Need. There's so many interesting elements uh, to this book and to your story. I've followed your work for a long time, um, and the things that you've written that have really gotten the church thinking um, about a variety of things, really living faith out. That's the core of it. Um, and this book in particular, in light of the needs around the world, I think is coming at the perfect time. But I want to I wanna start with talking about this trek that you took through the Himalayas, and it seems like that was an impetus for this book project. So what was it that brought you there to the Himalayas? Well, it's a long story, but I, uh, my wife and I, uh, we, so we've adopted two of our four kids. We're actually in the process of adopting number three right now. And uh, we had started a process of adoption from a country in the, with, yeah, in the Himalayas. And, uh, and we got almost at the end, I mean, praying continually for this child that we we're going to adopt. And then it kind of fell through. And uh, it just so happened, I mean, our hearts were like, broken we were our next step was to be matched with a child uh and we'd heard a lot about trafficking in this particular country we had heard about yeah just urgent physical needs and so we knew god had put that country on our hearts for a reason and right after that uh i met a guy who came up to me just after i preached one sunday morning and uh said he was from that country and does a lot of work there and i said i'd love to hear some more and that just began a friendship with him he's kind of the uh, main character, so to speak, in uh, this story and this track and the book. And uh, so really what drew all that to say me to that particular country was, I would say, more than any other place I've traveled in the world, uh, those mountains and the villages in those mountains represent just a collision of urgent spiritual and physical need. Um, I mean, he told me 
that uh, they did some research in some of these villages uh, a few years back, and they found that half of the kids in these villages were dying before their eighth birthday. Half and, of the children, half yeah. of the children dying before the age of eight. Yeah, like, I mean, I, I don't even know how to imagine, like one of the one of my worst fears is something happened to my, one of my kids. Like, I can't imagine that being an expectation for half of them. And wow. uh, so just, just poverty and dying of preventable diseases and, uh, and then the byproducts of that with trafficking, like traffickers just preying on families in that kind of poverty and and so just all kinds of physical need on top of spiritual need like most if not you know all the people who you interact with in those mountains have little to no knowledge of jesus like we're talking you go up to them on the trail and say what do you know about jesus and they say who's that like they've never even heard his name and so you put those together the lord yeah, God just broke my heart for uh, the knees of those mountains. And uh, yeah, that was out of my first trip there. Uh, a friend of mine who was on the trip with me, we're in the airport about to leave. And he said, what's your big takeaway from this trip? And I just said, something needs to change, like in my life, my family and the church I lead. Like, I can't go on with business as usual if these are realities in the world. Well, and that's the thing, you know, we live in a country where we have so much and we fight and we complain and we have these battles about all these things that, yeah, they're important in our country, but in the scope of real life. And, and when you see something like that, it's a wake up call. <laughs> you know, we, of course, we have issues here. We have issues here in this country, too. But what you're describing is something that is so horrific and systematic. And yet a lot of us as Christians aren't doing anything about these issues. We're not even aware of them, which I think is probably the first problem. Um, so when you, when you had that you know, comment with your friend where you said something needs to change, which of course is the title of the book, which I love, um, when you got home, what did you do? Like, What were the steps you took to live that out? Well, that that would take a long time to really dive into all that. But I would say, I mean, it was everything. At that point, I was wrestling through, okay, does this mean I need to pack up the bags, sell the house, and move to that to those villages? I mean, I was really wrestling with that. I was starting to, I started exploring that. I started praying through that with my wife. Um, and long story short, uh, God didn't end up leading us that way. Although I'm still, uh, yeah, holding out hope that one day I'm going to be taking a one way ticket over there or somewhere else. Wow. Like, uh, but, uh, he ended up leading, uh, yeah, long story short, uh, us to, um, at the same time I was asked to lead an international organization that's supporting, uh, missionaries, few thousand missionaries in places where the gospel's not yet gone. And so I ended up stepping into a role where I, I started leading that way, the International Mission Board. And then uh, and then I would say I, it's just uh, well, what you were talking about when you when you the awareness, like when your eyes are opened and your heart begins to wrestle with things that, uh, yeah, you're not prone to do when you live in kind of a uh, I don't want to say a bubble, but yeah, if we're yeah not we kind of do. I mean, we, we yeah, yeah, we kind of do. I, I know I do. I mean, yeah, that's the thing. We can convince ourselves that like the world looks like what we see around us when it's just not true. And so that's what when I come back from the, those mountains, like I want to take as many people as possible into those mountains. It's just perspective giving. It helps remind you, like, okay, what 
matters most, not just this world, but eternity. And, uh, and so, yeah, this book is, obviously it's not physically possible for me to take multitudes of people onto those trails, but, uh, this book is my attempt to bring those trails to, uh, to us and, uh, to hopefully, uh, a lot of people who, uh, yeah, can see face to face through, I mean, the books like structured as an eight day journey on these trails. So I basically am inviting a reader to go on a track with me through the Himalayas and just open our eyes to need in the world and then wrestle through, okay, if I believe the Bible, if I believe in Jesus, then how does that affect the way I think about it? I mean, what I try to do in this book is open up my journals and my own wrestling, even with things I believe and truths that I preach as a pastor, like if God is good, why is there suffering like this? And why does he not stop it? And why? So yeah. just to wrestle with some of those questions and uh, be honest, like I try to just come out from behind the stage, so to speak, where I preach on a weekly basis and just say, ah, what, how do we, how do we, reconcile some of these things we see in God's word with realities in the world. And then what does that mean for our lives? So, yeah, I mean, and you know, we're, we're recording this during a week when the nine 11 anniversary, you know, the 18th anniversary was happening and where a lot of the memories of what happened and the fallout from that are on people's minds and in their hearts. And there's a lot of questions. You know, when you talk to atheists and you know, this, every pastor knows this and most Christians know it, that one of the biggest critiques of, you know, God, not only Christianity, but God is that, there is pain and suffering. We saw Jared Wilson, who is a friend of mine, um, take his own life, and that has really challenged a lot of people. So it's been a week of events that have been really difficult, I think, for people. And of course, then there's the reality of everyday life for people, and, and that's what we're talking about here. So how, how have you, because you've grappled with that, you've thought through that, where is God in the middle of, of suffering? Yeah, so it's obviously, I mean, a huge question. How would I summarize? I, I would say, like, yes, there there are some things I don't I don't understand. I mean, that's part of my my aim, even in this book, is not like to ask these questions and then tie a nice bow on it. I just don't think there there's a nice bow to tie on some of the the realities of suffering in the world at the same time like that's what i find myself wrestling with in those on those trails like okay is jesus really the hope of the world like is there really good news here and i believe there is i believe there's far better i mean i was talking with somebody the other day yes who was just asking me okay so how can you believe in god if there's all this suffering and my response was, how can I not? Like, to say there is no God means that, okay, so we're just random products of chance, and in the end, there's evil, there's good, but no justice in the end, it's just over? Like, that's that's not true. Like, there is justice in the end, and uh, there is hope that this world is not all there is, and that evil in this world will not have the last word, that uh, grace and life for all who trust in Jesus, because God has made himself known to us and made a way for us to be reconciled to him and not live in a fallen world and that be the end of the story. Like, that's the greatest news in all the world. And, uh, and that doesn't mean I understand everything, but it does mean I want to make that news known 
Yeah. I want to make that news known in those mountains. I want, and, and not just those mountains. I want to make those news known. And that's part of the point of the book. Like we don't have to go to the mountains, like right around us. Like there are people who are hurting. There are people who are, yeah, suffering in all kinds of ways, just like you mentioned earlier. Um, but we have, we do have the greatest news in the world that, that this world and suffering in it is not, not the end. There is hope. Uh, in Jesus. And so that doesn't mean we can answer every question, but it does mean we can rest in uh, the hope that's found in him. And uh, even part of the book, I mean, part of the point of the book is to show uh, the way that hope is going into those mountains in a way that I hope encourages people. Yeah, no, I think this is such an important book for a time when we're so distracted. You know, I think when I get that question from from atheists a lot of, well, you know, how could there be a God with all this evil? You know, I point people toward the fact that when you look at the way people's lives change on the flip side of things when they encounter Christ, like what happens to people, porn stars who leave it behind and take, you know, no paying jobs. They basically make no money because they realize what they were doing was wrong. I mean, there's so many stories I've been able to cover as a journalist over the years where I've seen this radical life change that cannot be explained by anything other than Jesus, right? So pointing people toward that is so important, but I love that what you're doing here is focusing in, you know, I always think back to to Jesus telling us, you know, love God, love others. And that that statement, you know, a lot of people just, you know, sort of glaze over it and they and they move on, but but loving others is acknowledging what is going on all over the world and at home here and doing something about it. And so the fact that you're telling us something needs to change, I think it's an important wake-up call because we're on our phones, we're on our tablets, we're on our computers, we're busy living our lives in a country where we have a lot of privilege, which is amazing um, to have that here. But I think we we get blind to this sometimes. I really do. Yes, absolutely. And that's that's the thing. I uh, My hope, uh, in prayer for this something needs to change book is that yeah by bringing those mountains to to people reading this book that yeah our eyes will be open and our hearts affected I mean that's the other thing one of the things I talk about it like when I was flying over to those mountains but the first time first time I went over there on a trip I uh, I actually wrote a sermon on the way over there on like trafficking and slavery and what kind of difference we can make in the world. But I did it. Like I had all the stats. I had all the things that we see in God's word, but like it was one thing to have the stats to kind of have things in our minds. It was a whole other thing to, uh, yeah, to see families where girls have been trafficked and to meet girls who've been rescued out of trafficking. I mean, I just found myself on my face, like weeping and, uh, and that's where I, I just one of the questions I ask in the book is like, how easy is it for us to even know things in our head, but not feel the weight of them in our hearts? And at some point, we've got to let uh, that which we say we believe like affect the way we feel and then change the way we live. Absolutely. And and the fact that you had that opportunity too, I think. And, and one thing I've always admired about you is that you have, from from what I recall in, in reading Counterculture and just seeing your work, you've always sort of assessed where you are and what needs to change um, in your life. It seems like that's something you've been open about, whether it's, you know, housing and the type of house you're living in with your family, whether you're know, th- thinking through how do I live my life and having conviction on that. And so I think this is another piece of that, and it's so important. And if you were to say, if I were to ask you, 
what was the the biggest thing or the most powerful memory you have from that first trip over there? Is there one particular mm. thing that stands out to you? Well, I would say the thing that sticks out most is at the end of uh, trekking for eight days through and seeing all those needs, uh, and we got back into the city, and uh, I'd heard about how trafficking works, how girls are taken, I mean, as young as like eight years old out of those mountains and put to work. And I mean, it just sounds horrible to even put it that way. Like, uh, uh, anyway, they're put in brothels and, and just broken and abused in the, in the city. And we walked by, we, should we get out off a bus out of the, out of the mountains and we walk by and I saw these brothels. I, I mean, I had a whole new eyes now that I knew kind of what was going on. And uh, uh, it's just like I, I this tension of emotions, like I want to run and I want to run. Like I saw I locked eyes with a couple of girls sitting in front of this this one brother and they like motion for me to come over. And it's, it was so, it just felt sick. Even just the thought that oh, they would even think that I was th- like, I, I wanted to run away and I wanted to run and be a part of rescue me at the same time as this tension. I just, I, as soon as I got back to the place where I was staying, I just dropped my pack, fell on my face and just start, I mean, uncontrollably weeping. And, uh, I just, I, it just all came to a head and, uh, and just asking God, why, like, why don't then change right now? And then it just led to, okay, I don't know the answer to all those questions, but I do know this, like, yeah, something needs to change in my life. Like I can't, I can't see that reality and then just kind of go on with business as usual. It's just not possible. Well, that, that I cannot, I cannot imagine that experience. I mean, that is that is overwhelming. And to me, it's just so foreign to anything I've ever experienced. And I'm sure that's why you had that moment, because it's probably foreign to anything you had ever experienced. But um, if people wanted to get involved in particular, and I know I know that the goal here is to get people looking around where they are and, and what's in their community, what do people need? But is there a way to get involved in missions work over in the Himalayas? Is that something people want to do? Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things, so what, one of the things we're doing alongside this book is, uh, uh, radical is, um, was the title of a book I read a while ago, but, uh, it's a ministry. So radical.net and we are, I'm really excited, uh, because we are kind of through this book initiating, uh, a picture where we are going to be highlighting people, uh, around the world, organizations around the world that are doing really good gospel work amidst urgent spiritual and physical need and pointing people to that uh, and how they can be involved, whether going, whether giving. And uh, so Radical.net with this book coming out is going to be a source for pointing people to that. That's It's kind of a a big push that I want to, because I don't, the last thing I want to do is just write a book and people read it and think, oh yeah, okay, something needs to change and kind of move on. Uh, like I want to provide outlets where people can say, here's how I can be involved. And along the way, share stories of how others can be involved. Like, uh, so amidst urgent spiritual and physical needs. So all that to say radical.net, uh, I would encourage people to, to go there in the coming days and, and just see ways you can be involved in making, yeah, actually making 
affecting change in our world of urgent spiritual and physical need. Well, that's amazing, and we're going to make sure we encourage everybody to grab copies of Something Needs to Change. The book comes out September 17th. Thank you so much for, for joining me today. I hope we can get you back on here again soon. Oh, this is pure joy. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much. We'll be right back with more of the Pure Flix podcast. Did you know you can access thousands of entertaining and inspiring faith and family-friendly TV shows, movies, and original series? It's simple. Just log on to pureflix.com right now to start your free one-month trial. From kids' content to some of the most uplifting films, we've got your entire family covered. Sign up today. And we're back with more of the Pure Flix podcast. Welcome back to the show. I am Billy Hollowell. And listen, if you have not been over to the Pure Flix Insider, you have to do that right now. That is our daily blog where we have inspiring content, Bible verse lists, interviews with amazing people. There is so much good content. It is daily over at insider.pureflix.com. So you need to check that out. Make it a daily destination to uplift your spirits and just dive into the things that are going on in our world, in the faith world. Now, we are going to talk with Luke Goodrich, but before we do that, I just wanted to recap a little bit of what was said in the last interview there. David Platt is a brilliant guy, and I think so many of us, we want to go out there, we want to do good, we're not sure where to start, we're not sure what to do, but there are so many ways that we can make an impact on our community, and especially as we enter the holidays here, just thinking through all the needs that are in the community, right? Whether that's food, going to a food bank, donating, just giving money even, there is so much that we can do to make an impact on those around us, people who really really not only need physical things, meeting physical needs, but also spiritual needs. So just think through ways this season that you can be a blessing to other people around you. Now, we're going to move into our next interview. We're going to be welcoming Luke Goodrich onto the show right now. He has a book called Free to Believe. He is an attorney who is on the front lines of America's religious freedom battle. But as I said at the start of the show, the most interesting part, I think, of the conversation that we're about to have is the question I'm going to ask him, and it is going to be powerful, on what does it mean when people say separation of church and state. I think we need a clear delineation and definition of what that means, so we're going to get that right now. With no further ado, let's welcome Luke to the show. Hey, Luke, how's it going today? Great. How are you doing, Billy? I am doing well, and it is it is book release week for you, so you, I would imagine, have been very, very busy talking about Free to Believe. So tell me, why did you write this book? Free to Believe is a book to help ordinary Americans, and especially Christians, understand why religious freedom matters, how it's threatened, and what we can do to protect it. And for the last decade, I've had the privilege as an attorney at the Beckett Fund to stand shoulder to shoulder with people of faith when they stare down the government in a religious freedom case. And we've won a lot of cases, including four in the U.S. Supreme Court. And I just wanted to take that experience that I've had and use it to help ordinary Americans understand religious freedom. Yeah, it seems like there's a real um, disconnect for people, and I think a lot of it may be education, a lot of it may be how people are told about religious freedom, the way it's framed for them. One of the things I hear a lot when this conversation comes up is, well, you know, separation of church and state, separation of church and state, and that will be used to 
sort of discuss almost any issue, right? Whether that's um, a teacher yeah. being asked to do something they don't feel comfortable with or teach something they're not comfortable with, whether that's a nativity on a courthouse lawn. And, and I know there's a range of cases here, but what what does what does the Constitution actually tell us about religious freedom? When people use that line, are they right to use it? Yeah, the Constitution doesn't use the phrase separation of church and state. It says Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Uh, in non-lawyer speak, that means the government can't establish a church, like have a government-supported church, and the government can't inhibit people from exercising their religious faith. Uh, unfortunately, today we are seeing increasingly severe religious freedom conflicts across a range of issues. So I go in that in detail in my book, Free to Believe, and just help help ordinary Americans understand where are these conflicts arising and what can we do about it. Yeah, I know a lot of the cases um, that, that you have dealt with and that other law firms have dealt with surrounding these issues, they deal with really big questions about providing certain forms of contraception, about government mandates. But when it comes to these issues of, let's say, a local courthouse allowing or, or a town hall allowing a nativity display at Christmas time, does that violate the Constitution? No, not at all. And I have a whole chapter on, on the public square and religious symbols and religious funding of uh, and government funding of religious organizations. And ultimately, if you go back to the original meaning of the Constitution, the Establishment Clause, it meant the government couldn't uh, fund a church or control who's going to be a pastor of a church or really have an official state religion. It didn't at all mean that the government can't acknowledge religion as a fundamental part of human culture. And in fact, given how much the government controls these days, you know, for the government to have strict silence on religion and to eliminate religious symbols from the public square actually sends a message of hostility toward religion, and that's not at all what the Constitution was meant to do. Yeah, it's interesting. The arguments that are made by the Freedom From Religion Foundation and others, they seem to be arguments from what I can tell and in talking to people like you that fly in the face of what the First Amendment was actually trying to do, which was, to, as you just stated, to protect people, citizens, and churches, and to not, yes, to not have a national church, of course, but that's not, you know, these debates, they seem completely disconnected. Even the prayer debates, the Greece versus Galloway case seemed to really sort of clear up some of that, but yet here we are still having these conversations about whether these things are appropriate. What do you, in light of, you know, and I don't want to spoil the book too much, but in light of what you've seen and where you've been and where you are right now on some of the battles that are currently happening, and I want to talk about some of those, what is the next frontier? If you could kind of predict out, and I know that's always challenging, but what do you think, where do you think the next religious freedom battle will fall? Yeah, I identify five major areas where we're going to see religious freedom conflicts. And if you are a Christian and you hold traditional Christian beliefs about human sexuality, Far and away, the biggest battleground is going to be the rapid advance of gay rights and the way that gay rights uh, legal protections sometimes conflict with religious liberty. I'm handling a number of cases on that right now. And this is not just cases you may have heard of, like a, a baker who doesn't want to bake a cake for a same-sex wedding. It goes much further and much deeper to that than that to the way uh, religious ministries are run. I'm working on behalf of a Christian foster care ministry that's being shut down right now because of its religious beliefs about marriage. Uh, and it extends across a range of issues, and it's something that Christians really need to wake up to because there is still time to take 
prudent action to insulate our businesses, our ministries, and our churches from these types of conflicts. Yeah, I mean, and we're seeing the case down in Virginia with the teacher who, and I don't know all the details of that case, um, but the teacher who was fired for allegedly not using the the pronoun that somebody had wanted him to use, a student had wanted him to use. And it's interesting, when you look at education, it seems like education is a place, and I have been told by some other attorneys that there have been a lot of calls by teachers and administrators and people who are looking for guidance on how to handle some of these things because they're suspecting that there are going to be some issues in that arena. Would you say, is that something you guys have experienced? Absolutely. It's an issue in schools. It's also an issue in hospitals and doctor's offices. I'm representing right now a Catholic hospital system along with the Christian Medical and Dental Association because during the Obama administration, the government issued a regulation requiring doctors and hospitals to perform gender transition procedures. These are like cross-sex hormones or surgeries that uh, try to turn men into women and vice versa. Very controversial procedures. The government said, doctors, you have to do this or else we're going to deem you discriminators and punish you financially. So we, we've sued on behalf of those doctors and hospitals. But that's a very significant issue coming down the pike. Is that rule in effect right now? We got a ruling just uh, two weeks ago. The judge put that rule ruling rule on hold. Uh, so it's not in effect right now, but the ACLU is planning to appeal. I mean, it seems it seems like there, and, and this is somebody, I'm not an attorney. I've been a journalist for many years. And, and looking at these issues, it seems like we're, we've moved into a place where one person's or one group's set of values are forced on another group's set of values. And then there are rules and regulations that are put in place to say that one person's rights are more important than another person's rights. And, and that, you know, when you look at the First Amendment and the 14th Amendment and you look at these, these conflicts, to me, it, it becomes very, it's complicated, right? Because you have two people's rights that are pitted up against each other, but it seems problematic that so often it seems one side always wins out and then it becomes law. <laughs> so, <laughs> Absolutely. You, you see this in, in two main areas. One is the area of abortion, where the prevailing mindset these days is no longer, it's no longer enough that abortion be legal under Roe versus Wade. It also has to be accepted. And if you as a doctor or an employer won't accept that, you're somehow limiting health care for women or discriminating against women. You also see it in the area of gay rights, where again, it's no longer enough that you be legally allowed to marry whoever you want. You also have to be accepted for who you are and who you love. And if you aren't accepted, you're being judged and you're being discriminated against, and that can be punished. And so what I go through in the book is how do we resolve these, you know, these conflicts of rights? And can we find a way uh, for the government to say, hey, look, Americans are deeply divided on matters of sex and matters of human life. And is the government going to pick one side of the debate and punish everyone who dissents? Or can the government find ways to respect and protect the freedom of both sides? Well, and it seems it would be strange to it's strange to me. And maybe this comes maybe this is not the most, you know, intelligent way of looking at it. But I guess if I'm if, if I'm a Christian or I'm I'm Jewish or I'm a Muslim, I'm not being afforded the same sort of accommodation, right, when it comes to my worldview when I go places, right? If I go into a public school, they're not accommodating or teaching my worldview on the world. They're not accommodating and teaching what I think about. So that's what has been interesting to me is sort of seeing, okay, well, there's one perspective on this, and it's um, going to be what is taught. And that does seem 
incredibly problematic, especially when you have parents who want to have a voice in what their kids are learning, right? And they're uncomfortable with right. some of these things. So, I mean, I don't know. I just, just sort of spitballing there. It, it seems like there's not equality when it comes to different ideas and how they're being spread and perpetuated. Yeah, and certainly in the schools, it's it's vital to take care, uh, to pay attention to what parents desire, what, what parents desire for their children, make sure there are opt-outs that respect the rights of parents to direct the upbringing of their children, uh, but also just out in the marketplace and the way uh, Christian ministries are run, it's essential for the government not to just pick one side of the ba- debate and crush everyone who dissents. You know, right now, I mentioned the case we're representing a Christian foster care ministry in the city of Philadelphia. And Philadelphia is shutting them down because they don't place children with same-sex couples. But the fact of the matter is, in over 100 years of doing this ministry, no same-sex couple has ever come to the ministry asking for foster care placement. And if they did, they would just be directed to one of over a dozen agencies in the city that already do that. So there are ways, actually very easy ways, for the government to protect both sides, to make sure, hey, if you're a same-sex couple, we're not going to make it illegal for you to foster or adopt, and you can use these agencies over here. But if you're a religious organization, we're not going to force you to participate in that, and you can run your ministries in accordance with your conscience. Well, see, it seems like there's a middle ground on a lot of these things. If there's a baker who's forwarding people off to other bakeries, you know, I'm not comfortable doing this. You could go over here and do it. It's, it seems like we could. I guess let me ask you instead of leading it. Do, is there a middle ground on, on these issues in your view? Yeah, absolutely. And the, the basic middle ground is a, is a right to step aside. And that's what we already have in the laws of all 50 states when it comes to abortion. You know, it's unfortunate that abortion is legal right now. Uh, But when it comes to religious liberty, the law is crystal clear. If you're a doctor, if you're a nurse, you have a right to step aside. You can't be forced to participate in abortion. Uh, The same way you can't go out and affirmatively stop people from getting an abortion. And the same type of solution easily works across a range of issues when it comes to gay rights. Like if you're a baker, the same-sex couple doesn't have a right to force you to bake a cake for their same-sex wedding. Uh, especially when there are dozens of bakers in in the immediate vicinity that are willing to do that. You have a right, even as a business owner, to step aside, uh, and that allows everyone to live in accordance with their deeply held beliefs. Well, what can people do uh, if they—obviously, they can grab your book, which they should do, um, but what can they do if they're looking in their own lives and their own communities to protect religious liberty? What, What are some simple steps they can take? Yeah, number one, you definitely need to get educated on the issue, which is why I've written Free to Believe. Uh, But the last part of the book is devoted entirely to what can we do about it. And I think there's two major areas, especially if you're a Christian, to pay attention to. Uh, Number one is, is to address what is our mindset as we enter into these religious freedom conflicts. I think as Christians, there's a tendency to look at religious freedom exclusively as a legal or a political issue and miss the fact that it is also a biblical and theological issue. And much of Scripture was written to Christians who were facing violations of religious freedom and serious persecution. So we need to go back to Scripture and understand what Scripture says to the persecuted church and allow that to be the basis for how we enter into these conflicts. And then secondly, uh, beyond looking at Scripture, we need to take prudent action. And there are a variety of actions we can take. I lay it out in the book, Free to Believe. Whether you're a business owner, a ministry leader, 
a person behind the pulpit or a person in the pew, there are practical steps you can take to protect your organization and your family in these areas. This has to do with uh, the way you define and pursue your mission as an organization, uh, the way you arrange your employment practices, uh, how you relate to outsiders, you know, what types of business or ministry are most likely to bring religious freedom conflicts. Uh, how can we get politically involved? Uh, how can we teach the truth from the pulpit? And then how, as just individuals, how do we uh, reject anger and hostility toward our opponents and speak to them with gentleness and respect? What does it mean to love our enemies in these contexts? And how do we stand up, stand alongside those who are suffering for their faith? So there's so much we can do, uh, and that's what I've tried to equip Christians for how do we confront these conflicts in a way that's influenced by the gospel. Well, listen, Luke, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Where can people grab copies of Free to Believe? Yeah, Free to Believe is available wherever books are sold, including on Amazon. And then I also have links to a whole bunch of different retailers on my website, which is lukegoodrich.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Billy. Okay, this wraps up our podcast today. I really enjoyed talking with Luke. I think there's so much there to be said about where we are culturally right now, the battles that are unfolding, and whether or not we can find a middle ground, right? We are we are one country with a lot of people who have many different beliefs, but when it comes to protecting religious liberty, when it comes to protecting free speech, that is the core of who we are. That's our First Amendment, right? And so these are very important conversations to be having. Thank you guys so much for tuning in today. Please tune in next week for another episode of the Pure Flix podcast. In the meantime, head over to facebook.com slash pureflix, pureflix.com, and also insider.pureflix.com for daily inspiring content. See you next week. That's all for today's podcast. You can follow PureFlix on Facebook at facebook.com slash PureFlix and on Twitter at PureFlix. And be sure to log on today to pureflix.com for your free month of access to thousands of faith and family friendly movies and TV shows. Thanks for listening to the PureFlix podcast.